What's up? This is episode 103, Topical Zoom. We're talking about remote teams, culture, and tools. Let's do it. One, two, three, go. Welcome to the Design Your Thinking Podcast, a show where we think, learn, and explore the product mindset so you can design better products every day. And now your host, Karthik. Hey, hey, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today again. We started talking to Matthew Storm back in episode 102, and we are continuing this conversation with Matt to understand a lot of different things. Back in episode 102, if you haven't really listened to it, we started talking to Matt, who runs a design agency which is distributed across the globe. And we started talking about how they use tools and processes to actually work with uh, each other remotely, especially working on design projects remotely can get pretty, pretty darn complicated. So we got started uh, in episode 102. We talked about uh, his view on success and productivity. And also he got uh, he started talking about tools and how his company uses tools to work with each other. And in this episode, we continue this conversation with Matt to understand how, how he thinks tools and processes play a key role in forming the company's culture. And also he goes on to talk about how his company goes about buying tools versus making and or building tools in-house. And also in the later part of the show, he talks about his transition from being an independent contributor, a, a designer to a design manager. The topic for this episode is something that has been asked multiple times by you, my listeners, and also uh, some people from my uh, email list. So without much ado, let's jump right back into this conversation with Matt. But before we went ahead with the episode, I'd like to introduce you to the Tiny Book of Triggers, a project you know that I've been working on in the recent times. As product managers and designers, we are passionate about our work and always are looking to explore new areas to learn and grow our knowledge, skills and career. We sometimes pick a book, listen to a podcast or take up a course uh, in the quest of gaining knowledge. The Tiny Book of Triggers is a tool for product managers and designers to explore new learning opportunities. It's a book that covers 12 topics and has about 120 triggers. These triggers are essentially you know, actions that help you get started with learning something new. The Tiny Book of Triggers gets updated regularly with more triggers compiled from successful practitioners and experts who've been on this show. The goal is to constantly bombard you or give you a supply of more triggers, ideas to help you stay on top of your learning and career goals. To get yourself a copy of the Tiny Book of Triggers, just head over to tinybookoftriggers.com. That's T-I-N-Y-B-O-O-K-O-F-T-R-I-G-G-E-R-S.com. All right, let's jump right back into our topic today. Let me quickly give you an introduction to Matt if you haven't listened to episode 102. Matt is a designer and developer. He lives in Brooklyn, New York. He founded Planetary four years ago and is currently leading the design organization. Matt likes to spend his time making art and music with mathematics. He plays ping pong and has a dog named Tim. 
let's do this. Let's jump right back into where we left in episode 102. That's interesting. And yeah. how do you go about uh, deciding what to build? I mean, um, I'll, te- I'll, t- I'll tell you a quick background to this question, right? Because um, I've worked with a couple of clients now and whenever I talk to them and I see them use these different uh, tool sets, uh, I'll take one example here um, of somebody I was talking to even as um, late as two, three days back. Now, when I saw them mm-hmm. using the tools, one thing I observed is they, they started, they were um, in this adoption mode. Uh, they were adopting tools quicker and they were trying out too many tools is what I felt like because I saw them use Dropbox, I saw them use Box, I saw them use mm-hmm. Evernote. Now, when we started looking for, um, you know, uh, artifacts um, and of different kinds, they were scattered all over. Now, how, do you, how did you go about deciding which tools you want to use for what? I mean, is there some sort of uh, uh, best practice that you've uh, come up with because you work with people from different locations? Um, that's the reason I'm curious. So I think that there's a couple of answers here. And the first is is to kind of address what you were saying about when do you decide to build something mm-hmm. and when do you decide to buy something. I think that from my own experience, I'll tell you the story of two products that Planetary has built for ourselves mm-hmm. that can illustrate when you should build something and when you shouldn't build something. Okay. Um, the first was a couple of years ago when... Um, we were a little bit smaller than we are now. We were using Asana mm-hmm. every day, and we loved Asana. And then Asana had a big redesign. Mm. And as a team, we really didn't like the way that they had gone with the with the platform. And we decided to try out Trello, and we decided to try out a few different things, but we were having difficulty really finding the right thing. And there was a lot of sort of uncomfortable or friction mm. sort of feelings so we thought, let's build something because we can't quite we can't find something that's quite the right fit. There are some things that don't quite fit right, but we really want something that's perfect. So we're going to build it. And we set out to build the perfect tool to manage some of the the task based feedback and and some of the sort of Kanban style work that we did mm-hmm. and. We described the, our perfect tool. We worked in the design side of things. We built some prototypes. We worked in iterations. And we it took us, you know, a couple of months mm-hmm. to get something that we could use. And we were really excited because we felt like this would be perfect for us. But also we were excited because we were going to open it. We are going to start selling it. And we were going to build this platform. And it was going to be great because we are going to have a little income coming in on the side. So we we set up a marketing page and we started trying to use it and that is uh, that product was not actually very useful to us. We started using it right. We we thought it was going to be perfect. We started using it, but we found that maybe some of our assumptions were not quite right. It had been a couple of months since we set out on the 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 road to building it and we found that over that time our process changed a little bit nobody was really signing up for it on the paid side of things and that didn't really work 
So that product kind of languished and was not a successful build. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll contrast that with a second product that we decided to build. Last year, we just one day I decided to kind of build a prototype of something that had been on my mind, which was we as a remote team have a lot of people in a lot of different time zones mm-hmm. and we were having, you know, there was just a little bit of mental overhead and making sure that whenever you scheduled a meeting, you know, everybody could attend that needed to attend. And it was, it was a big challenge. So I, I decided we didn't quite have anything. We just didn't have a tool that did anything close to that. So I, I put a little prototype together, put it in Slack. Everybody was kind of interested. And then Josh, my, my business partner is much better developer than I am kind of coded up a version of it. And we started using this really ugly prototype, you know, within a week of the idea of being in existence. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the thing that was going to change the way we worked forever, but it was a cool little tool that we kind of were using in and out a little bit, but it wasn't replacing anything in our workflow. It wasn't something that we were sitting down and creating this big product roadmap for. It was literally just a little mm-hmm. prototype of boy. But over time, we would come back to it and we would kind of add a feature here and there. And maybe we would say, oh, let's just try this thing as a low, low, build, low cost to build and it's not going to take as much time and we're a little slow right now anyway. So we're going to change the way it works. And over time, the tool started to fit really well to our workflow because it was a little bit more of the, of the bottom up approach where we were building it because there was a need immediately or because we were exploring and and we kind of tried a couple things that didn't work, but that didn't tank the whole product. And then over time we had, we built out enough features and polished the interface enough. And we said, well, let's just quietly kind of open up registration. And we registered a domain. We called it SpaceTime. And we put it on the Slack app directory because it had a Slack integration. We found that a lot of people were signing up for it, even though we didn't set out to create this platform. Mm-hmm. Like in the first example, we still we, we had created a product that worked really well for us out of an organic need that wasn't imagined in terms of what would the perfect thing be, but rather something that was just, you know, modestly productive and helped a little bit, scratched one of our itches and, and kind of was useful immediately. And, and that product was a success and we're, we're running it. It's called space time. It's a, you know, we just have it open for free and we've gotten a pretty sizable user base just, sort of providing that little bit of value to teams that are similar to us. So in telling these two stories, I'm I'm trying to call out the difference between sitting down with pen and paper and envisioning the perfect replacement to a tool you already have. That process is destined to be a failure because that is not a failure of product. It's not like you don't have the right tool. It's that the tools out there are fit to certain workflows. And maybe in that case, you can change your workflow a little bit to Mm -hmm. fit the tool. Um, That, you know, that's a great time to to look at your process and to maybe think that your process should fit the tool a bit better. On the other hand, if you maybe 
find a place in your workflow that there's no product that exists. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that does the thing that you want it to. And and it, it, it doesn't matter how tiny or small it is. It, it can be something that you can maybe just create a little prototype in Google Spreadsheets or create a prototype on Zapier. Even if you don't code, you can make a little if this, then that integration. Mm -hmm. That's the right time to build something is when you can start small, you can create something unique, and you can find it immediately useful. Beautiful. That's a, that's a nice example, um, Matt. So you, we, when we talked, again, going back to a conversation that we had before uh, the interview, there was another point that you talked about, which kind of uh, is is probably the right time to talk about it now, which is, you you talked about the impact of these processes and tools, you know, that the, the kind of impact they have on companies and teams. And when you describe these two tools that you kind of built in-house, you also talked about you know, the, the way you went about doing it. And you did mention about uh, workflows and processes briefly, though not um, connected very well to this question. But then how do you, I mean, can you elaborate on this uh, point that you made about how processes and tools have an impact on team culture. Maybe you have a personal story from Planetary, maybe. Yeah, so this is an interesting con uh, sort of aspect of a remote team. Planetary as an office uh, exists entirely through software. So we, we do have an office, we have a physical location, but only three of us are ever there, me and Josh and Kenny. Mm -hmm. And the three of us get to share that space, but with the, as a whole team, our office is Slack. And so just in the same way that when you're a company and you're designing your office, you think about how you want to design the kitchen to encourage people to talk to each other. You think about you want an open floor plan or maybe you get a little bit more of a closed floor plan to encourage or discourage certain things. Mm -hmm. If you're working with a remote team, and even if you're not working with a remote team, if you're a, a company that primarily, you know, that uses a lot of software to, to run your company, the decisions you make about the way you use the software and what software you use will impact your culture and behavior as a company. And so it's very important to think about the design, you know, just really subtle details like the difference between, you know, a product that kind of uses upbeat, goofy language or funny illustrations mm -hmm. um, versus a product that's very straightforward and, and maybe a little bit more enterprise level and how that might impact the overall communication of your team. These are details that it, it, it's very important to sweat those details um, and so there's, there's a couple of, there's two sides of this to it, really. There's the, the tools that you use, mm -hmm. for instance, using Google docs as a way of maintaining your, um, business's, uh, financial documents. We have a, a company that we work with that, um, they put all of their financials in a Google Doc and make that accessible to everybody in the company mm -hmm. to build a, a 
to build transparency and and to build a sense of of you know team as as a flat structure and that that is a conscious choice in their process that they're using the sharing capabilities of Google Docs to uh, to shape their company. Mm-hmm. Um, this would be akin to the open office layout where not even the boss has an office. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that is the software side of things. Then there's there's the process side of things, and there's the the choices that you make in how to have a weekly stand-up call or how a meeting goes in general mm-hmm. that you have to think about because, again, planetary doesn't have unstructured interactions necessarily. I mean, we do talk in Slack all day, but we don't have the sort of like come in in the morning and ride the elevator up with your coworker moments. Mm-hmm. So we have to think very consciously about those moments that we do share stand-up calls being one of the big ones, but also feedback meetings and, and uh, design reviews and code reviews and moments like that. We have to be very conscious about that and make decisions that reflect our, you know, values as a company. For instance, um, during our weekly stand-up, we used to have this weekly stand-up be sort of a slightly unstructured but short and sweet Monday morning phone call mm-hmm. and um, just by virtue of it being a call that was at the whole company you know me or my business partner Josh we found ourselves leading the call every week and that's a natural thing because we are the the principles of the, the agency mm-hmm. but we realize there's an opportunity to not have us be the people who are just speaking the whole time and to encourage the rest of the team to participate. So now we have different facilitator every week. And we assign it. We say, all right, this week, uh, Sam, you're the facilitator. And so Sam runs the meeting. And that allows each person to speak and to be heard. And even we even have some parts of the process that encourage people who are not naturally, they don't naturally come by the sort of jump right in there and, and mm-hmm tribute they're a little more introverted we have moments that are specifically for those people to contribute because you have to be inclusive and you have to actively seek the contributions of everybody on your team so these are all process that has nothing to do with the software we use as a team but in the same way that we would choose the shade of of wood flooring in a physical office, we have to choose the tools we use to reflect something about our company. Because if we don't, then those choices are made for us by other people. Wow. That's that's a very interesting and a very important uh, point that you're making here, Matt. Um, I can relate to it through personal experience. So <laughs> this is this is interesting. So is, is there a way if someone had to... Uh, go about pick, uh, picking processes and tools uh, based on your per- personal um, experience uh, at Planetary, um, is there a suggestion or is there a process? <laughs> Again, I'm I'm going for a process here, but then is there a way people can go about picking the right processes and tools? Where do they start? The most important 
process, in my opinion. And this, this is because it reflects planetary's values. So I'll, I'll caveat everything I say with, this is what works for me and this is what works for planetary. It's very important to think at length about the things you want your company to, to reflect and, and your values to mm-hmm. represent. But with that caveat out of the way, I'll say that for us, the first process is the feedback process. It's more important than any other process solely for the reason that it enables us to find the right fit for everything else. Hmm. We focus very intently on how to give and receive feedback in a way that helps you know, everybody be mindful of how each other are feeling and receive even critical feedback with uh, sort of an open mind. And what that allows us to do is once we kind of get that right, once we have practiced giving and receiving feedback in an open and sort of equitable way, mm-hmm. then whenever we're maybe adopting a new process or trying out a new piece of software, we can give feedback and we can provide and and receive feedback on these processes to sort of fit them and find the right set of tools. So being very open and conscientious of each other's sort of way of working when trying out a new thing and and making sure you build in some time to to think about it and say, is this working for us? Um, I, I think that that is the the right way to go forward when you're when you are reading about a new way of running a meeting <clears throat> or you see you know on product hunt the new team management tool mm-hmm. before you adopt it before you try it out you know float the idea to the team and say here's why i think we should do this and if your team doesn't want to try the new thing don't force it you know don't don't ask people to do too much jumping back and forth between your tools but if your team is is interested in it then give it a shot and make sure you have a moment where you're asking is this working for us and make sure you ask that a weekend and a month in and three months in and six months in and a year in even processes that feel like they've been around forever mm-hmm. even though they're working great even though you do them every day it's important to ask, can we improve this? Is this what we want? I know I've been using you know, email forever, but I'm, I can think of a million ways I'd like to improve it. So these are more important than maybe doing a, a business analysis or finding some economic way of, of, of analyzing the right tool is the feedback that you get from your team and the feedback you provide to your team will lead you to the right process. Beautiful. So, Matt, um, you, you know, you've been working with, uh, you know, companies and teams of various sizes by now. What are the most common mistakes you see, you know, design teams and product teams make in, in the early stages of, you know, bringing a product to life? Sure. Uh, there, there are a lot of them, and there are a lot of them that, I've made, certainly. Um, so the things that, that I've been learning a lot lately with a design team mm-hmm. is that it is very, very important that 
design happens in the open. And what I mean by that is a way that everybody that is going to be involved with the project, Mm -hmm. developers especially, but not just developers, the clients and everybody that, that is involved with the project, it's important that design is happening in a way that they can see it, they can understand it, that all of the stakeholders can have access to the reasoning and the thinking behind the design. I think that it's very easy as a designer and as somebody who works with designers to be very understated with our reasoning because you get it. I don't need to explain to you why I chose 16 pixels as the base font size because we're both designers and we both know that that's the right size, but I'm taking that for granted if I don't explain somewhere that 16 pixels is a good point size. And and that helps, not only does it help everybody feel like they understand and, and they're brought along for the ride, that also is an important aspect in checking assumptions and being aware of assumptions. So I assume that 16 pixels is the right font size. I couldn't tell you right now exactly why that is, hmm. but it's important to be able to do that it's important to be able to tell somebody why links are blue um, because you're guaranteed to get that question at some point. I recently had a client ask me why websites scroll. And to me, that's a question that is just like, I can't believe I'm answering this question. All websites scroll. Everybody knows that. But the deeper I dug into it, the more I realized that that is a big assumption that you make when you're designing a website. And Mm -hmm. My assumptions are not necessarily the, the assumptions that everybody else will have. So the mistake that was made there, and it was a mistake that I made, was assuming that everybody will take what I give them as kind of granted. As if I say this is blue because that's the right color for it, I might assume that people will just say, okay, well, you're the designer. Mm-hmm. But that's that's not a very good assumption because while nine times out of 10, that might be the case. One, one of those times somebody is not going to feel the same way and, and you're going to be in trouble. So as a design team, it's important to document your decisions, to be inclusive when you're doing design reviews and to share early and often, not just as a, Hey, by the way, here's what's going on, but get the developer in the room and say, Hey, here's what we're thinking. Let me hear what you have to say about this mm-hmm. and include other people in the process so that it, and I think one of the things that prevents this from happening is it can be frustrating as a designer because it, it feels slower and it feels um, like there's more friction in the process when you do have to explain every step of the way. But it's, I've found the inconvenience of, documenting and being inclusive to be so much less than the inconvenience of later having to go back and find people who might have been left along the way or to later have to confront these assumptions that you thought were shared. So it's one of those things and, and developers will tell you this documentation is important. Documentation is important. And as designers, I don't think we, 
take documentation seriously enough. So I think that that's a big mistake that people often make. Great. So, um, so Matt, you've um, transitioned from being just a designer. Now, as your company grew, you've become a design manager. Any lessons that you learned, uh, one or two that you'd like to share with, with our listeners at this point in this whole Ye- transition? Yeah, this has been a very interesting transition for me personally to move from a designer who is opening Sketch every day to a manager who uh, by no means should be opening Sketch every day. And I think that this is this is the thing that's been the most difficult for me is as a manager, it's often very important for you to enable other people to do the work. And it's seldom is it the most important for you to do the work. And I think that it's very difficult to let go of that. It's very difficult to, to not use the work as a way of explaining your thinking. A thing that often happens and, and a thing that I have to work on a lot as a manager is when I'm giving feedback to a designer Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to explain why I think that the design should change. My first instinct is to say, well, let me just show you what I'm talking about. I'm going to open up Sketch and I'm going to draw it out for you. And I'm going to send this to you and I'm going to show you. Mm-hmm. This is an efficient way of communicating, but it is. I don't think that's the really good way to be a manager um, because if I'm not capable of communicating my thoughts, if I have to fall back on doing the work to communicate, then that means that I'm missing something. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not trying hard enough to communicate there. So I think one of the hardest things for me has been to really, when I come up against those moments where I think, oh, I should just do this myself instead of trying to convince other people to do it, is, is being okay with with struggling through that communication and then the flip side of that is letting other people do the work and being okay with it if it doesn't come out exactly the way you think it should have been to let that go and that is as candidly as i can be is very hard to see design come from planetary that maybe wouldn't have been my choice Mm -hmm. you know but in the end the work that we do as planetary is the work that is done by the team and it's everybody. And I think that one of the reasons why we've been successful in the past few years is the strengths of the design, the designers that are me. Mm -hmm. Um, And they've really, the design team that we have right now is so fantastic and has really let me grow as a designer because I've found that I do have blind spots, that they're much better at, than me at, at certain kinds of design. So it took a, it's taking me a while to get onto that wavelength of just letting go of, of my sort of need to, to really touch the work and be on top of everything all the time. Mm-hmm. But it's also allowed me to develop some of those skills of working on that communication, working on empathy and, and being very much in tune with with my team and and helping them and, and enabling them to do the work so that that transition has been very tough i'm still working on it it's something that i'm 
every day I, I, it seems like I have an interaction where I think back on later and I say, oh, I could have probably done that better. But right. um, I think that as it's made me, uh, now when I do, you know, open up Sketch and work on something, it's made me a much better designer right. overall. Even though I don't do it every day, even though I, I shouldn't do it every day, I think that it's it's made me a much better designer, and I, I'm really thankful for that opportunity too. Right. So uh, we have the fact end of the show here. So Matt, uh, what's your parting advice for uh, for our listeners who are designers working with remote teams like you are? Um, you know, how can they work better? My advice for designers working on remote teams is that it it is not the same design as you're used to in a non-remote team. It has a lot of challenges that require you to write down everything, to work a little harder, or to work with a little bit more frustrations in the tools. But... Today, it is a fantastic way of, of designing that will open up a lot of cool opportunities and ideas, but also the landscape is changing very rapidly. Mm-hmm. And if you are a designer working on a remote team today and can really master those skills and, and work with those frustrations, in the next three, two or three years, the tools will evolve to the point where remote design teams will be so empowered that collaboration remotely will open up a lot of that work and a lot of opportunities for for designers who feel comfortable on remote teams so stick with it you know you got to put a little bit more work into it and you got to work a little bit harder than a normal you know designer is working in-house but it's going to be a really cool space to be in and i'm really excited about it Beautiful. Where can people find you after they finish listening to this um, uh, episode here, Matt? So Planetary's website is planetary.io, and we are on Twitter as P-L-N-T-A-R-Y. You can find me on any social media as I Like Science. Awesome. This has been a good chat, and I I really like some of these points that you made uh, around process, culture, and a lot of different other things related to working with the remote teams here, Matt. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you. It's been really enjoyable for me as well. I really appreciate it. All right. I hope you were listening to this conversation very closely. And I know this conversation went on for a pretty long time. And uh, and yes, so I want to keep my commentary pretty low. But just I want to point out a couple of things here. Uh, I really like the points that Matt made when it comes to especially picking tools. Um, Now, I've seen a lot of companies, like I described, just randomly picking tools. So there there has to be some sense in the way you go about picking tools. And the points that Matt makes are fantastic. I'll have the links to Matt's Twitter handle, to uh, Planetary's website, Spacetime, the tool that he talked about, uh, all in the show notes. You can go and access them by heading over to designyourthinking.com slash episode 103. And if you like to get more episodes like this right into your favorite device that you're carrying in your pocket, do subscribe to our podcast by heading over to designyourthinking.com slash iTunes. That's if you're carrying an Apple device or if you're using an Android device, go head over to designyourthinking.com slash Stitcher. 
And if you'd like to get more uh, interesting stuff on products, do subscribe to my newsletter. I don't send them very often, but then whenever I do, I really send something that you can think about and gain something from. You can head over to designyourthinking.com. That's the website. Scroll all the way to the bottom of the page and you'll be seeing a button right there. Just click it and you'll be asked to enter your first name and your email address. Do that and I'd love to see you in your inbox. That's it. Thank you so much for listening in. And till I see you in the next episode, stay tuned, stay inspired, keep pushing, keep crushing. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Design Your Thinking podcast. Subscribe to our newsletter at www.designyourthinking.com. 